Hi, it's Mark Stenson of Bioscience Bridge. I wanted to personally thank you for stopping by our podcast, The Patient Speak. Right now, we're preparing for a whole new season to be launched in September. In the meantime, I wanted to reissue some past interviews with healthcare executives, patient advocates, medical researchers, and other guests who share their insights on what it takes to accelerate the patient's journey. Hope you enjoy it. And now's the time to subscribe to The Patient Speak so you won't miss a new episode when we start our new season in September. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. I'm so happy today to have as my guest, a physician and a medical executive, Dr. Alan Vescanian. Alan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. And Dr. Vescanian sees patients. He also has a role as a medical director in the Cedars-Sinai Medical Group, overseeing about 300 physicians in a multi-specialty practice. And he's the author of a terrific new book, Reclaiming the Joy of medicine, about overcoming the burnout factor that a lot of physicians are feeling. Dr. Viscania, maybe we can just start there, that patients experience and often feel the frustration of their doctor when sitting across the table from them. What can we learn from understanding the physician burnout from the patient's point of view? What are the implications? Yeah, Mark, that's such a really great question. My focus has always been on the patient side and how can we make that experience great for our patients. But then as a physician and as a executive, I realized that if our physicians are feeling burned out, that has a direct impact on the patients. And then during the pandemic, I was placed on the patient side of the room and I realized that burnout directly impacts patients and their family members. Burnout causes lack of ability for physicians to extend compassion and empathy to their patients when their tank is empty. And the subtitle of your book, I think, gets to that is Finding Purpose and Fulfillment and Happiness. Our healthcare system, people always say it's broken. And it has been broken for many years. And some people argue that maybe the healthcare system is not broken. It's actually working the way it was designed, which is really more healthcare system centric and less patient centric, and also to some extent less physician centric. So the example of not making eye contact, when the electronic health records were rolled out, a lot of physicians kept complaining that this is not a friendly system. There's a lot of clicks and I cannot make eye contact with my patients. However, there were a lot of policies and mandates that required the use of electronic health records. There are a lot of benefits to it. But then there's a lot of downsides and unintended consequences. And no one really addressed those unintended consequences. One of them is this lack of eye contact when you're sitting behind a computer. But the other one is that when physicians end up leaving the room, they spend a lot of time in front of their computers doing what we call desktop medicine. If you ask a lot of doctors, but especially primary care doctors, what is one of their biggest root causes of burnout, they will tell you the amount of time they need to spend in front of computer 
instead of in front of their patients. We have this term called pajama time. It's the time that doctors are spending at home when they should be playing with their kids, spending time with their family or loved ones. They're spending it in front of their computer at home after work. On average, a primary care doctor spends about 90 minutes. And some people argue it's much more than that. For my book, I interviewed a lot of doctors. Some of them were saying it's two to three hours after they get home, they spend in front of computer. It's not good for doctors, but it's not good for our, our patients either. Maria is both a physician, an MD, and a patient who's navigating life with Parkinson's disease. And so we're going to talk with Maria about her own journey and about the things that she's learned and how she's advocating for patients now. And Maria, if we just start with, I read an interesting article and blog you wrote on the occasion of World Movement Disorder Day, and it had a real call to action about what we need to hear from patients. So just picking up on that thought, what is it that we need to hear when we listen to the patient speak? Even though we've come a long way, we still need to have improvements. One of the things I talked about was listening to the patient and being able to have medications available because 37, as I mentioned in my blog, only 37 of 110 countries have levodopa, which is the standard care for Parkinson's disease. And that's 60 years after this medication has been on the market. So that to me is completely unacceptable. That's something that we definitely need to work on and try to get. And this medicine, at least here in the States, is about 10 cents a pill. So really, there's no reason why we can't have it. I was referring to when Bush was on, President Bush, first Bush was in office and AIDS was the pandemic and they got an act to be able to provide AIDS medication to other parts of the world, particularly Africa. And AIDS medications is very expensive and they've managed to do that. So I'm not sure why we can't do this with a growing population of over 10 million people in the world with Parkinson's and is growing, they think is going to double by year 2040. So if we can't even have the basic, then, you know, we're in trouble. So there are many places where, you know, neurologists are usually, especially in the academic centers, they're the ones treating this specialties like Parkinson's. So most patients have to travel. And for me, even I have to go to Houston, it takes me three hours to go to Houston to an appointment. And imagine one, if you get diagnosed when you're young, you're still working, trying to maintain a family and trying to get off. And as the disease progresses, as I have found, it's diff more difficult every time to travel because you're not feeling well, you're not able to drive, you can't find somebody to take you. So that becomes a huge limitation in your care. A bit during the pandemic, we were able to get telehealth. But as soon as the pandemic was over, most specialties got rid of telehealth. So that that leaves us back to where we were, not being able to contact our physicians. Yes. And you're wearing two hats in this conversation. It's Dr. De Leon for sure, and it's Maria. How do you navigate your own journey, knowing <laughs> what you know as a physician, and then advocating for yourself as a patient? 
I, I switch back and forth. And when I talk to my physicians, of course, I'm always a doctor de Leon trying to remember, especially since this is my specialty of what's new, what's available since I keep up with it. And I'm very big advocate. But at the same time, it really comes down to the person. What is the nitty gritty? What really bothers me as a patient, as a person, as a mom? Because I've discovered that sometimes the things that we as physicians care about or ask about are not really the things that are crucial or essential in the family dynamics or in the day-to-day activities. Nobody really asks, are you able to do your laundry anymore? Are you able to clean your house? They ask, have you fallen? No, I'm not falling. Are you having trouble swallowing? No, I don't have trouble. But when was the last time I felt like or was able to clean my house? That kind of thing. They're important things that sometimes we overlook and we don't think about as physicians. The presenters of this podcast are deeply involved in patient recruitment and identification of people who might want to be involved in drug development. Could you see this as a kind of a patient selection tool? Absolutely. And I mentioned that there's been a lot of insights into the science of cough recently, which is leading to a handful of promising new drugs. And those trials, there was one trial where they did, and they recruited patients they measure, they, they just tape recorded people for a day and then they count the cough. And it took them a couple of weeks to do that. By the time they actually started and enrolled those patients in the trials, 15% of the patients didn't even have a serious cough anymore. So the ability to know passively and in real time how much people are coughing and to be able to find those patients and recruit them into your trials, I think this is something that contract research organizations who are smart are going to jump on very quickly because cough is not just, it's not just this refractory chronic cough. Cough is a prominent symptom of COPD and asthma and GERD and sinusitis. And there are many drugs for which cough is an indication. And there are also other drugs for which cough is a, is an adverse side effect. So the ACE inhibitors. And if you want to make sure that you're new ACE inhibitor isn't causing a cough, it's now possible to do. More than just maybe a patient diary that you could actually measure it. Yeah. And it's interesting because in terms of patients speak, these patient reported outcomes are really important perspectives when you're doing an intervention and a, and, or a clinical trial. You give somebody a new medicine and you ask them, do you feel like your cough is getting better? And yet that's not the same as is your cough actually decreasing? And I would never pit these against each other, but I see them as very complementary. And we are doing studies now. We have 50 patients for whom we ask them every day, how's their cough? And we've monitored them for weeks. And the uh, it's interesting how... The trends align, but the details are super informative. Very interesting. The company you're referencing is called Hyfe. And listeners, if you want to read more about it, it's hyfe.ai. And Dr. Peter Small, Chief Medical Officer there. Dr. Pimentel, as we round the corner in our conversation, we must look forward. You've got a crow's nest view of what's coming. So yes, we have our current challenges and we need to shorten that 6.6 years for sure. But you're also seeing new science, new technology. What's on the horizon that we should be watching out for? 
I think so the this new breath test the three gas breath test and I know that's what we're here to discuss is really charting the new water so we now know that these three gases compartmentalize IBS into three different microbiomes and we now as of a paper that will be out next week know exactly who the bugs are in those three buckets and now that we know all that information the treatment window for better and new things is wide open because now we can really examine the effects of different products on those specific niches of bugs that cause that symptom in that individual. So you call you can call it precision medicine, or you can call it just we just know more about the microbiome in IBS and get at it. And so I, that's how I feel. Like we we are getting at it, and all I can tell you is we already have one product that we think is going to be very promising for the diarrhea side on the basis of exactly what this breath test shows. Very excited. And patients should be excited too because they've been waiting a long time for better and better things for IBS. And this marginalized disease from the 1990s is now front and center the preeminent microbiome condition. And that's huge for 40 million people in the US, 1 billion people worldwide. So we're very excited. Thanks for listening to The Patient Speak. Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey with Mark Stinson. You can listen to our show on any of your favorite podcast apps. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.